glad you've joined me today for another episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm Andrea Miller, and my guest today is author and speaker Rebecca Lyons. Did you know that nearly 80% of the population experiences the physical symptoms of stress on a regular basis? These daily struggles with anxiety and stress can make it difficult to receive God's peace and live in our full purpose for Him. In my conversation today with Rebecca, we talk about this as she shares her story of battling stress, anxiety, and panic attacks. She tells us she tells us how after years of being healed from panic attacks, she experienced her worst one yet. From this experience, she realized areas of her life that needed renewal more than ever. You'll hear how Rebecca's changed rhythms in her own life to prioritize time to rest and restore. This helped her quiet her inner chaos and make room for a flourishing life. Rebecca's story and message are a perfect one for all of us to hear this holiday season, when life can often get more stressful and less focused on these life-giving rhythms. Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast, Rebecca. Thank you so much. It's my joy to be here. Well, I will just do kind of the overall and kind of basic intro. You are a blogger and a speaker and an author that is about to release her third book. And that's what we'll talk a little bit about today and the journey that brought you to writing that. But before we talk about your journey, can you just tell us a little bit about your day-to-day life, your family, where you live, all of that? Oh, sure. Absolutely. My day-to-day life is in Franklin, Tennessee. So just 20 minutes from Nashville, a little bit south. Uh, My husband and I have been married 22 years in December. So we have three kids in high school and one daughter in kindergarten. (laughs) So uh, that was... um, a decision we made a couple of years ago, we wanted to adopt. And so we brought a little girl who was five years old home from China last December. So you can imagine mm-hmm. that's kind of, you know, been a, been a little bit of a parenting reset for us, but uh, she has been a joy. Her name is Joy. Uh-huh. And my oldest son, Cade, is my firstborn biological son, and he was born with Down syndrome. And so we decided that we would love to adopt someone with Down syndrome 17 years later. So Mm -hmm. that's what we did. And so there are bookends. She started kindergarten two weeks ago and she and, and her brother, who's a senior, you know, they're, they're already besties. It's really sweet. And then we have a junior who's uh, Pierce and a a freshman who's Kennedy. So we have two boys and two girls and that's life for us staying pretty full. Yeah. That's a busy life and starting over again. Congratulations on the adoption. And we could That is a whole other story in itself, your parenting journey and special needs children and adoption. So that's one part of your story we won't have time to get into today, but um, people that are interested can find more about that. Um, But that's a neat part of your story as well. Thank you. Yeah. So let's go ahead and dive in to your story. Mm -hmm. And like I said, you have your third book coming out called Rhythms of Renewal, Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose. God's taken you on a journey to write this book. So take us back just a little bit about your journey dealing with anxiety, depression, panic attacks. In your last book, or last couple of books, you share more about that and when they first started. So did they first start when you moved to New York City? Take us back. Tell me about that journey. Yes, they did. They started in 2010. And at the time we had sold um, most of what we had and we were leaving the suburbs of Atlanta. And my husband and I had started a nonprofit 15 years ago. And we were about halfway into that where we just, and our, our nonprofit was so much about cultural engagement from a pers- from a lens of faith. And so we would host gatherings around the country. And a lot of these leaders 
in these front lines of industry, whether arts, media, government, policy, education, who, who loved God and loved Jesus, but were trying to figure out how to make sense of how to live that out faithfully in the middle of culture. And so they would always be coming through New York, New York City, and my husband thought it'd be brilliant for us to move our <laughs> elementary kids to Manhattan from the uh, suburbs of Atlanta. And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I was reluctant at, to say at the least um, for about three years. And then I finally surrendered to it. I was like, you know what? You only, you, you don't know how many days you have. And for whatever reason, there was something drawing us there. We were part of church there that was planning on the Upper East Side and downtown. So we were part of kind of helping in some of those launch teams. And we're like, why not? I mean, the worst that can happen is we don't have to stay there forever. And so, so um, you surrendered and, and you, yes, you up and moved. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then about four months into that time, I actually was on a flight and I had a panic attack and I had never had any history of that. Mm. And I think it was New York was a pressure cooker at that time because it was kind of, for me, started out of claustrophobia, just feeling of being trapped in small spaces because New York is 8 million people in 11 miles. And I was always on a subway, a train, an elevator, a crowd. Um, and everything was always like, there was no such thing as personal space. And for me growing up where there was a little more breathing room that just pushed stress to this, like right out of me, like whatever was in there buried <laughs> came yeah. to the surface. It pushed it to the surface. And so I didn't have language, but I did eventually it was, I had panic disorder that whole year and stopped kind of, I tried to avoid a lot of those places and cried out to God a lot, but felt very helpless because I never had walked through anything so scary um, and unpredictable <laughs> and yeah. out of control, quite frankly. I'm, I'm a firstborn, high capacity, tend to kind of not run from obstacles, but this was one I couldn't avoid. And so had you dealt with, I mean, you have such good points because it wasn't like, oh, it's just New York City's fault, but it was like you said, a pressure cooker in you and that just kind of set it off. Had you dealt with like anxiety and depression before New York City no. or could you just kind of like maybe push it aside or just, no, no you hadn't? No, but um, I did, you know, when I had my firstborn at 26, that was a traumatic moment and even mm -hmm. his birth was pretty traumatic on the table. It was emergency C-section, two epidurals. I felt like I was almost dying on the table, being smothered. So I think there was a little PTSD there because they had to give me twice the drugs to hurry and get him out because I couldn't numb fast enough. So I think there was probably some low-grade just trauma my body was already kind of having to deal with because even as a little one, he would have to go to the ER a lot in the middle of the night because his airways would close down really fast with group. So we were always on call, it felt like, or he was running off, <laughs> you know? So I think there's, there's such a thing as like that chronic stress that you never, yes. you never are away from. And then we had two more within two years. So all of a sudden, yeah. and I have three in diapers because he wasn't really fully potty trained until he was six. So in so yeah. many ways, I was just that mom with her head down, feeling overwhelmed most of the time. And then found a little reprieve and we're like, let's do, let's do New York. I don't know what I was thinking, but, yeah, but that really triggered it for you. And so was it like, I thought I read somewhere, like it was like almost daily. You're just dealing with major anxiety, panic attacks, like just yeah. it became like your way of life in New York city. So what did you do with it then? Like, tell me, walk me through that and what got you to the point where you thought you, you had the freedom from it. 
Right. So I was meeting with three girlfriends that I got really close to that had all moved to the city around the same time, except one was there a few years before me. So she was kind of our guide. <laughs> um, but it was definitely like we would go through books together. We would, we would pray. We would just encourage each other. And so there was definitely a community that came around me that was very solid and tight. And so if I was crying that week because it was just a really hard week, I felt like I had somewhere to go with it. And probably it was helpful because I couldn't really afford counseling in the formal way. I mean, I certainly would go here and there, but it wasn't on the regular. And at the time, I, and I had not gone on medication either. So I was just kind of just processing verbally out loud with my friends, with my husband. I was, I was staying, I was exercising a lot. I was trying to do the things I knew to do, like changing my diet and trying to be active and get stress out. And I did find the more I was outside in Central Park, or being proactive with, with just keeping my, my body strong, it did help. Um, and then knowing my threshold of like, okay, this is going to be too, you've overscheduled this week, you need to pull way back, allow more room, just walk to the kids' school, you don't have to take the subway, because it kind of, it already stresses you, and you try to avoid it anyway. So, so in some ways, there were some rhythms that were already happening. But the big thing was that when uh, about a year in, I just remember in the middle of the night waking full panic out of a dream and my husband prayed. And in that moment, I just cried out to God, rescue me. And I did feel flooded with peace, like supernatural peace that wasn't mine. Like the peace of God flooded my heart and all was still. And in so many ways, I was going to I was about to begin a healing journey that I didn't have language for the time at the time that that's what the, that it was. But just that low hum of chronic anxiety just kind of calmed all the way down. Yeah, and that's what you share. Um, I'm not sure where I read it. I think I read it in your book, You're Free, but like September 20th, 2011, it says you cried out to God and he flooded you with peace. And that's when you just knew, like you said, that you, God was just a supernatural healing and you wrote You Were Free. But right. then you share in your new book, it was a Saturday afternoon in October. You hadn't had a panic attack for like seven years. Is that right? right. Yeah. Right. And then right. you were just overcome with another one and you share yeah. the details of that and you everything kind of came crashing down. Like, yeah. am I a fraud? Like, what have I been doing for the last six, seven years? And right. telling others how God can heal. So tell me a little bit about that turning point. Like God had used sure. that pain for purpose and then this happens. Right. You know what I learned in that, which I think is critical because relapse has a way of finding all of us every once in a while. Like there's a muscle memory there and there can be some time that goes by and we can find ourselves in a vulnerable situation that comes out of nowhere. And that's how that story happened for me. It was like so unpredictable and so terrifying all at the same time. And, and God, I think he allowed that to happen in a way to remind me that like, these things of fear, these patterns of fear or habits of fear, um, they're still going to be out there. They're still going to try to come at you or come against you. Um, but God is saying, I will always make a way of escape. I will be with you in the places of pain. It's not to say that you can't have victory because I do feel like the Lord has given me so much freedom, so much um, of a new story with this. But if I get a little too ahead of myself and think I'm doing this on my own. Um, it keeps me in a real surrendered place to go. Like, I just need to be doing the steps. Like, you know, you think of 12 right. steps recovery or whatever it is. 
um, you don't ever arrive to where you're invincible. Like we're still fragile people who can be prone to, to conditions beyond ourselves and go, I need God. I need rhythms. I need the rhythms he creates. And so that's really why this book has been so powerful for me living it before writing it, because I was already doing those rhythms even before that panic attack. But when it happened two years ago, it all the more gave me language. Like if I'm, if I'm overscheduled, if I'm stressed out or burned out, if I'm not resting, if I'm not being still, if I'm not taking inventory of my life like, cause it still comes ultimately from a place of chronic stress. Ultimately, right. when we, when we have no margin or bandwidth, and we're then placed in a scary situation or, or something that feels threatening, we don't really ha we're not even equipped to respond as well as we would be as if we're mindful and preventative ahead of time. And so it's not, this isn't like a cure book. Like this is like, you do all these steps and you'll never struggle. It's, this is a cadence that we're invited into for sustained emotional, spiritual, and relational health. It doesn't mean there won't be moments, but the, the goal is that we will get healthy enough that when something comes against us, we'll be better, we'll be better um, prepared to keep those things at bay. Yeah, and I love, I really do love this part of your story. I mean, I'm sure at two years ago, you didn't love this part of your story of a relapse, but it is really what the Lord showed you. You can't do this alone. He does give healing, but you've got to completely sur surrender to him. And sometimes that healing doesn't look or last like we think, but right. I think it also gives you and others kind of a new level of empathy and understanding for people mm -hmm. like this. This is a life, could be a lifelong thing, but you, with the Lord, you can manage that. Just like yeah. you said, others that, I mean, my husband's been sober for 15 years and it, yes, God healed him, but he's still going to not put himself in certain situations or do other mm -hmm. certain things. Mm -hmm. I just think the Lord was really just sweet to you in that part of the story, how he wrote that. Right. So let's dive in then to those rhythms that after having that relapse, God really just realigned and showed you like, look, this is the things that with me, we've got it, we've got to do. So tell us those four rhythms and how they play out in your life and the book you go into detail. So obviously we can't do that today. So just give sure. us an overview of all the four of them. Sure. So there's four. I had to keep it simple, something memorable, <laughs> something that's actually approachable and practical. Right. So there's two input rhythms first, which are rest and restore. And then two output rhythms are connect and create. So you've got rest, restore, connect, create. And I like alliteration, so it helps me remember. <laughs> That's right. So and rest is the first because it's the foundation of like, you don't run to earn it, rest. You, you run from a posture of a rested, a rested, peaceful person, right? And that's why I start with rest, because I think we always think, well, we, once we get all the hard stuff done, then we can relax. It's like, no, you actually need to come from a filling because you can't give what you haven't received. So start from making sure you're taking care of yourself and your body and your mind and your heart before God. Are we okay? Um, am, I, am I pausing? Am I reflecting? Am I taking inventory of my life? What's, what's right, what's wrong, what's confused, what's missing. I walk the reader through all these kind of exercises and questions because if we can't you know, like pull back the curtain on our taking inventory of where we're at relationally, personally, physically, then we're going to have a hard time creating a plan or having a framework to even know how to proceed. And so and that's, that's why it's so important. Yes. And that's what I love about your book is it's not just like, 
okay, you list these four big topics and the simple things that we know. Some of them are simple, but you really go into like, how does this apply and how can you do this daily, weekly, monthly, and mm -hmm. ask those questions. And like you said, asking to take inventory. So you really like help the reader self-examine and figure out these areas. Okay, so second one, and we'll, we'll come back to rest if we have a little bit more time, but let's just give the overview. So the second one was restore. Yeah, restore. So rest is your spiritual life, your inner life your spiritual health, restore is your physical, your physical health, your body. So I talk a lot about um, what are you putting, what are you eating? I mean, you have to eat. So are you being thoughtful about what you're eating? What's bringing energy? What's draining you? Um, rhythms for routines for um, play. Like some of it's just like seeking adventure and pushing yourself. I think part of restore is like this vibrancy that has to come back to us physically. And so I write a chapter permission to play because most people are like, wait a minute, I, that's for kids, not adults, but play and control cannot coexist. That's what I learned in that chapter. And so part of the reason we can't play is because we, we can't release control in our lives. We're so like um, high strung about needing to control every environment. And so play almost like dismantles that a little bit. So you get back to a little bit of that youthful vigor, that youthful excitement. Uh, I talked and that's a hard one like that is when I was just like oh I don't know, I know. and I'm a type well I'm a firstborn control freak too that play yeah. like you need to have a purpose if you're moving it's a you need to have like a yeah. purpose for it so play right. spoke to me that I need to do more of not what just when I'm on vacation so right yes. well it, it I think what it does is it harkens you back to the things that made your heart sing when you were young and mm. we talk about that and create and so I, 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 when I find me seeking adventure, like I love, I'm such, I was such a curious kid. So why, that's why in play, I put like, take a road trip, go, go do something that like, you're just, you just get excited about because what yeah. it does is it opens up a new avenue. It can still be productive. I mean, you're still learning, you're discovering, it's going to inform your creativity and your work ultimately but don't go into it with an agenda, just go for enjoyment. Right. And then out of the overflow, you'll be uh, so amazed of, of what that kind of play and freedom produces in your life. It, it, it just will, because it's that positive for you. Because if we just focus on the output, we're, we're actually not um, really delighting in who we are as, you know, even just the enjoyment that God actually gives us, I think. Um, well, and I think we look at play so often in this busy society of something when I have time or it's just kind of a fringe benefit later, like mm -hmm. your book makes it clear in what you talk about, like our bodies need that. I mean, mm -hmm. without it, that's when things start getting out of whack and we do have this extra stress and anxiety. So mm -hmm. that really spoke to me on the importance of that. My children will be glad to hear that. <laughs> right. And I do think it, it, it creates connection in our family. Uh -huh right? Which is the next rhythm. But so these but rhythms build on each other. I started with rest and then restore. Cause I'm like, if you're, if your heart life is healthy, then hopefully that spills into your body is able to relax more. You'll sleep better. You'll eat better. You'll actually have energy to, to get outside and take a walk or use the workout pants and actually do something and break a sweat. You'll, and then as you do that, natural serotonin is released into your body, which makes you more happy, more joyful, more excited to play. <laughs> like it actually works together. I wanted science and research and data in every chapter because God made our bodies and he knows what they need. And I think science and faith come together beautifully. And it's one thing to say, read the word. Yes, do that um, because Jesus is our peace. But on with that, 
know that God actually knit us and crafted us in the womb. And he has real intention for what we need to actually live a life of flourishing. So let's pay attention to what science says about our bodies as well. Yes, absolutely. And you share that in the book and that really does hit home. I mean, especially with the sleep chapter and your podcast, which we'll link up at the end, but you have a podcast too that talks about these, which I love. I just started listening to it last week and you really go in, you have some experts that really talk about some of the science and facts Mm -hmm. behind these things. um, If people want to dive a little bit deeper into this. And the other thing well, I want to say too is if you're listening and you're thinking, well, I don't really deal with panic attacks. And I don't think like this is for people that a stressed out world. Yeah. It's not just for those that are right. like, gosh, I can't function anymore. Yeah. I think you share it was like almost 80% of the population experiences physical symptoms associated with stress. So it's right. like this, we can yeah. all relate to this in this high paced tech world over, over Facebook connected under human contact connected world. So sure. four out of five, four wow. out of five of us feel physical, not, not just feel stressed. We feel physical symptoms, yeah. of stress, which then are literally on that continuum between stress and something extreme. That is anxiety. When you start having physical symptoms in your body, either shortness of breath or racing thoughts or sleeplessness, all that is stepping into the toe, the pool of anxiety from stress. And it is an epidemic. There are obviously varying levels of it, like you said, but no one's immune to it because of the world where we live in right now. And I'm sure too, you've seen this and we all have, if you're a mom or have children in your life, the prevalence of kids dealing with anxiety and depression is just through the roof. And I know there's lots of studies and research. Are we just documenting more or is it, but I think there's no denying that it does relate back to a lot of things in our culture and that screen time and Mm -hmm. the high paced life that we make our kids live. And so this book too is not just good for you you as a reader or a mom or a woman, but for these things, for your kids, for your family's rhythms. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because our kids, it's a hearkening back. I hope it's like an old soul book where Mm -hmm. it's like, practical things like tech tea talks or, you know, make a memory with your kids and like, again, play or work with your hands, right? You know, there's so many simple things. This isn't an expensive diagnosis prescriptive thing. This is a like, Hey, let's get back to the simplicity of where things were at a slower pace a hundred years ago. I know we can't, but we're going to have to actually fight for it. We're going to have to fight to, in our current context, choose to live a different way if we want to be a people of peace. Yeah, you're right. That's a great point. It's a choice. It's not, this is not just going to, these days it's not going to just come naturally because of all these external things that are grabbing at us, but it's a choice to go and to do these things, to put them back in your rhythm. So I totally got you off track because now we we haven't gotten to the third rhythm, which is one of, of course, the most important. So let's take off from there with the third one. So the two output are connect and create. So connect is all about your relational health and um, expressions in this section and chapters are on vulnerability, conflict resolution, hospitality, opening up your home, um, seeking to understand and apologizing first. I do a topic on marriage, on parenting, just because I think that, um, bear each other's burdens. You know, when you walk alongside someone who's walking through something devastating, what do you do? What do you say? How, how are you there for each other? Uh, we are a communal people and part of the uh, epidemic of loneliness is leading to the epidemic of depression mm. because we were never made to live 
isolated lives out of contact, but we think the screen takes the place of that, but it actually can't. It's not possible. We have to live embodied lives with friends that are sitting in front of us, making eye contact, having a hug for an embrace, like reading the body language, hearing what's not being said, seeing behind the eyes. If we don't have a healthy version of that in our lives, it will lead to mental illness. It will ultimately, because we were never made to live in isolation. And you talk about too, like you purposely took a tech detox and that's something, do you recommend that for everybody? I mean, I'm sure ideally you do. Do you recommend that for moms or kids? How do you kind of handle that one going forward? I had to take an extreme one because I hadn't for seven years. I got on Instagram at the beginning in 2011 and then my dad died a year ago and I was, I was starting to spiral in depression and I didn't want to hemorrhage online. So, and I also knew that I was almost wanting to numb out by scrolling. And then if you can't, you know, if you can't grieve, you can't be comforted. So you actually can't heal if you don't allow your body to grieve. And so I knew just for my own health, I I had to get off for a whole summer, like uh, 90 days or something that I I recommend it. If you can, I would agree. I did this past summer. Basically I had interviewed Kate Merrick and she was really encouraged. And I'm like, I am going to go off it too. And it was so, it was hard at first, but it was so good. And I kind of wish I could go back to that. I, it's yeah. finding that balance, I think now, but it's not easy. <laughs> it's not. And I find myself though, already back in that position of scrolling and just mm-hmm. on there too much, but it's really hard, especially like you, like you, your work, blogging and posting, like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a really hard thing to balance. So I think about how it's hard with us as an adult, like our children. I mean, I have a yeah. teenage daughter, like I'm still trying to figure out with her what those boundaries, how do you mm-hmm. handle that with your own kids? It's, I'm sure it's different right. for each one of them. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, my, my freshman daughter does not have Instagram. She's not on social. Yeah. Um, and even my junior son is, but not really. We, he would at rather, he could care less. He just does music. So he's yeah. like, can you, can I post a video? And then he like, doesn't check back in for a month. Um, which is not probably that, you know, you obviously have to be diligent with it if you're trying to build something, but I'm always with my kids. Like, are you offering something to the world? Or are you just giving like somebody a play by play of your day? Right. right. It really should be purpose-driven. Um, all things that we offer to the world should be purpose-driven, but even that can become so addicting and consuming. Mm-hmm. So for myself or for the kid, like, you know, there's an 8 PM cutoff. The phones are downstairs out of their That's reach. Um, we have access to read all texts at any time they sign a contract. If their grades go below a B, like they don't have phones until they go back to A's and B's. Um, the only exception is if like someone's driving and they just need to have their phone on them for that occasion. Um, but we're trying to still navigate that. Um, yeah. But for me personally, because I, like you, so many moms, so many women are working moms or entrepreneurs or work from home. And there's so much, one, so many wonderful things about that to motherhood because you can kind of make your hours a little bit more. But the problem is that you have to then regulate the hours that you've created. <laughs> right. And so I think right now I'm in a push season. We have a book coming out. It's hard to just like escape or, you know, avoid social media. So I'm really, really embracing my weekends, like to just mm-hmm. completely not even show up or I have a team that might help repost something. But in general, I, I just can't even, I can't even look at it because I need that Sabbath so desperately by Saturday, even I need, I need two days if I can. Yeah. Um, 
And so that's, that's a big thing. And even evenings, we, we, my husband and I talked about this, this morning, there can be some things that are more timely to post even in the evenings. They either have to be pre-done or they're not going to happen because I can't give mental space to it. That's going to take an hour. It's just not, it's going to interrupt the night and it's actually going to um, create disconnection with my family, which is so, so desperately needs to stay on track, especially in a season of um, when you're in the middle of launching something. Yeah. But that is again, you being aware of, these rhythms and seasons and knowing like, okay, I've got to take this extra time for rest here because so you're intentionally still putting it in there. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing you talk about, which I really like in the connect chapter, I mean, there's, we could talk for hours just about that one is the guilt and shame component. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. So I just love that you, how you talk about the vulnerability transparency. And one of the things you say is guilt and shame. It keeps us trapped in the cycles of anxiety and depression and Mm -hmm. panic. That connection helps us out of that. So talk a little bit about that and then we'll get to the last rhythm. Well, just like even in, (coughs) sorry, in rhythm one, I talk about a chapter examine and confess where I I had a moment a couple of years ago where I realized I missed some of my kids mm. um, highlight reel because I was like head down buried trying to write a book. And I had to literally either just confess it and ask for forgiveness a, but then let it go right there. I can't condemn myself for things I can't take back. But what I can certainly do is learn from that. And make sure I'm in their faces, asking their opinions, getting their ear, going, "What do you is? How do you feel about this? What What do you think?" Because they're the they're my people. They're going to still be there, um, God willing, you know, right. whether or not, whatever the latest thing is. And we need to be good. And whether it's marriage, kids, whatever, like that has to be the lens in which. So there's no condemning. I mean, once we've asked for forgiveness, it's done. Um, we just learn and we go in a new way. And so I, I think connection in the connects rhythm is that it's like having those honest conversations with your people going, Hey, I can see what you're saying. I'm sorry that I didn't have give you, I wasn't fully present with you when you were talking to me because I was thinking about an email that I had to return or whatever. Um, so like there's grace on both sides. And then, but this week in particular, I happen to be traveling and I have to get these three things out. So I want to make sure that we're making this time over here and the connection I think allows for that compromise to constantly be happening in a way that's for the full holistic version of the best for all of us. Mm, right. So good. And then the last one in the couple of minutes that we have left, tell us about the last rhythm that's so important. Yeah. So the last is create, and that's about your vocational health, like your work, your passions, your purpose, the things you have to offer the world. And, but sometimes it's just pairing it way back to the, the beginning, you know, the things that you got excited about as a kid. So there's a chapter on dreaming again, you know, like going back to the thing that just made your heart sing and, and reigniting that, pulling the weeds, pulling the things away that have distracted you from that. A lot of times we have something that we feel like we're on mission or on purpose for, and we say yes, and we run after it, but then we layer it with 20 more things because mm. somebody else is doing them and we feel obligated, like maybe we should do this as well. And then they all of a sudden choke out the main thing because we're so tired and burned out and we don't even have energy for the thing that started it in the first place. 
So it's, it's quitting those things. Yeah. And I think that is such a great note to end on because that just shows how all of these four things do tie together. I mean, if, unless you're having that time of rest and intentional prayer and time with the Lord, you're not going to know where he wants your time spent. Um, right. And so we can say yes to, to even good, saying yes to too many good things. That's not not what we're supposed to do either. So mm-hmm. all of these just build on each other and relate to each other. And your book, I just highly recommend just no matter where you are in your stress level. I mean, it really does just break it down and helps you take an inventory. Um, your website has some great resources mm-hmm. and we'll link that up in the show notes. Tell us what your website is. And like I said, we'll make sure to link it up. Yes. It's just Rebecca Lyons.com, R-E-B-E-K-A-H. L-Y-O-N-S.com. And down there, if you go straight down there, about halfway down the page, it talks about the book, but it says discover your healthiest rhythm. And it's literally a five minute, 40 question quiz on figuring out which rhythm comes most naturally for you. And then you get, a, um, once you're done, you'll get the results immediately with even some tips on how to strengthen the other three. Yes, your website, people need to check out because you have a lot of free things on there. You have, like you just said, that free quiz, and then you have free Bible studies from past studies that you've done, Mm -hmm. Um, just a lot of really good intentional free things. And then your book, so good. I just know that that is going to speak to a lot of people and women. So thank you just for your journey and story of sharing all that. And then the one other place that you can be found is, like I said, you have a new podcast that you do with your husband and you talk about all of this and really dig into different guests each week. And the name of that podcast is called Rhythms for Life. So I am, I'm now a listener to that. So I I appreciate you, your your vulnerability there and just sharing. I think you're going to help so many people. So thank, thank you again, Rebecca, for taking the time to come on today and just for sharing your story. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. I enjoyed our conversation. I did too. Okay. Bye-bye, Rebecca. I hope you found my conversation with Rebecca encouraging to know that you can minimize stress and anxiety in your own life by focusing on the life-giving rhythms Rebecca shared with us. You can find more details and practical advice in her book, Rhythms of Renewal, which we have linked up, as always, at herstoryspeaks.com. This is such a great book to put on your Christmas list or give to others. Also, be sure to check out RebeccaLyons.com. She offers several free downloads such as mental health tips, Bible verses on anxiety, and free Bible studies. Finally, if you're a listener of the podcast on iTunes, I sure appreciate it if you could go and leave a review. It helps others find the podcast more easily. Thank you.